High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road races, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. This episode of the podcast, we have Jake Royal on board. Jake is the owner and operator of RaceFit Athlete Development in Melbourne, Australia. He is also the, the head of human performance, the director of human performance for the Asian Cycling Federation. So that means he's working with athletes and coaches for the entire Asian Cycling Federation and helping them perform at an optimum level at events like the Asian Games, the Southeast Asian Games and the upcoming Olympics. So he's working with some really high-end athletes and getting some really awesome results over there with them as well. So in this podcast, we talk about the training methods he uses and we talk about a holistic training approach. We also touch a little bit on sports psychology, which I really love Jake's outlook. And I guess that's why I've been attracted to him because he's um, expressing some of the things that, that I also express in my coaching of clients. But what, when he talks about sports psychology in this podcast, you'll hear him mention that it's, there's really no such thing as sports psychology. It's human psychology. It's, it's basic human behavior. So sports psychology is not something that we turn on of a weekend when it comes to the race. It's something that we practice every single day like any other part of training. It's, it's got to happen on a daily basis. So it's about not letting our thoughts control us, but learning to control our thoughts. So to do that and apply that on race day, you've got to get really freaking good at doing it every single day and you've got to put the practices in place. So we talk about that in this podcast. Jake has been mentored and he's done a lot of work under Paul Check, who, if you know anything about holistic human performance, is the world leader. When it comes to that, I've just spent four weeks, ah, sorry, I've just spent a whole week with Ryan Hughes and Rhino speaks of Paul Check at in very, very high regard. He said when he goes to Paul Check's house, he doesn't talk, he just listens. So he's Paul Check is one of the world leaders when it comes to holistic human performance and and Jake has learnt a lot from him and that's what he provides when he talks about a holistic training perspective. So we touch on a lot of cool stuff in this podcast. We're going to do a follow-up one. This was just kind of a get-to-know-you podcast, I suppose, with Jake. We're going to do another one, a follow-up one. We're really looking forward to um, collaborating with Jake and, and actually working together with him. We're looking at doing some training camps together, which is going to be really cool in the future. But we're going to do a follow-up podcast with some takeaway tips that you guys, the listeners, can can use, can gain when it comes to a holistic training program so looking at mindset looking at how you train how you move looking at your nutrition and looking at your recovery those those four main pillars so we're going to give you guys some takeaways we touch on a bit of that stuff in this podcast too but we're going to do it a, a detailed one that that's that will give you guys some really simple stuff that you can take home and and put into put into your program so if you've got any questions around that, hit me up, shoot me a message or email me if there's something you would like to know for that podcast. 
um, any questions, hit me up and we can make sure we cover it in the next podcast. So until then, feast your ears on this. It's an awesome episode. He's a, he's a really cool dude, Jake. I'm sure you're going to love it. And give him a follow. Check out his stuff. He's on Instagram, Race Fit Athlete Development. And if you've got a chance, you can review the podcast or rate the podcast in iTunes. If you're listening to it in iTunes, apparently that really helps if you give an I give a podcast an honest review um, and a rating. So I'd really appreciate that if you would do that. If you love it, share it with someone else you know who would love it too. That'd mean the world to me. So until the next one, ciao, and we'll see you on the other side. I'd like to welcome Jake Royal to the podcast from RaceFit, Athlete Development. Thanks, brother. How Thanks. are you, man? Yeah, awesome. Amazing. Sort of really tired after a day of practice, um, throwing a leg back over a race bike again, but um, really happy in this setting. If, if I was only say, we could... Do you want to paint a picture for the oh, listeners? Dude, there's, there's not <laughs> enough colours in my uh, my easel to <laughs> paint this picture. We're, we're in the high country, we're in Mount Beauty at the moment. Um, um, looking over Mount Bogong in spring and it's about 23 degrees and kids Little... playing in the paddock and barbecues cooking and we just finished riding all day. It's essentially heaven, really. So <laughs> this is. is my birthday present. So nice. Um, I was asked what I want to do for my birthday, what I want. And I said pretty much nothing but there's a race at Mount Beauty on my birthday. So there's absolutely nothing better than this. It's amazing. So just awesome opportunity that, and having you living up the road and being able to catch up here is perfect. Yeah, it's linked in well. Mm. Yeah, so I know you mentioned on the phone when we spoke a bit before this that you like to keep your finger in the pie with a bit of racing. Yeah, essentially. I don't know if that's subconscious or it's just me lying to myself and just wanting to keep racing and not retire. But <laughs> yeah. um, No, honestly, um, I've got a good client, a good mate, a long-term client of mine, um, Glenn Allerton, who's multiple Australian superbike champ racing this weekend and and we've got some some big news for next year and we're we're pumping him up for next year for 2019 and he's going to race the last round after a a few rounds off with injury yeah Um, and i'm coming off a pretty big sort of leg reconstruction type deal um as well um working pretty tightly with him and the bmw superbike team at the moment and obviously being in bike sports everyone's injured all the time and it's really tough to see really good coaches just really out of shape and great minds and stuff but it just bags mm. of shit on the sidelines and yeah. um, sort of don't practice what they preach yeah 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 and I mean I'm, I'm old I'm 37 but um, prime of your life mate yeah I mean <laughs> I can still race yeah uh, medal or, or no medal and stuff so I think if you can uh, I'm not coming from a point of view where I was an ex-champion turned coach sort of keeping that dream alive sort of thing my passions have been coaching the whole time and I'm just an average rider yeah um, so if I can keep my finger in the pie, <clears throat> just keeps that dialogue open with um, teenagers and, you know, from anywhere from 14-year-olds that I look after to 40-somethings, trying to keep keep them going at a, at a decent clip. Um, so, yeah, just when I signed up two weeks ago and got that race entry in, it's just the same as any other time. You've, you've you know, got the nerves in the gut and just keeps you relevant and keeps that dialogue open with, with the guys and obviously keeps me searching for methods to be faster and processes to be faster in my own game which I can experiment on myself before just picking up a theory or a process or a tool or what it might be and passing that on to clients without putting your money where your mouth is and doing it yourself first. So yeah, I won't pass on any practices or gimmicks or sort of no bullshit approach. 
Um, so this weekend I'm trying a couple of new things and um, for myself and I'll see how it goes and then if it works with me I'll, I'll move that on to another select small group and then once I'm happy that I've got enough data behind the process and enough evidence that it works I'll, I'll share it wider so um, yeah that's, that's why we're up here at the moment it's just amazing surreal yeah nice that's a good approach man mm. so what what's something you think you've probably had to work on the most now that you are getting a bit older what do you think's one of the most important things to keep you sort of on As top of your game aging racer yeah so for um wow obviously um it's the work-life balance for everyone whether we're talking pro am or pro um um Work-life balance is everything, and the term holistic approach um, does conjure up sort of images of a left-type approach, but um, there's no other way, there's no better way to describe just getting all your shit together, yeah. whether it's mental, physical, or nutritional, yeah. which are my three big pillars um, um, to create any sort of improvement, whether you're, you're amateur or pro, it's lining up all three, and that, that is just simply a holistic approach to racing. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's coming from a very sort of um, analytical, sort of skeptical type person that I am. Um, but I'll delve as far left as I can get and still bring evidence back that, that it works. Yeah. Um, but I won't stray too far. Yeah. I'll stop short of crystals and, and <laughs> resonances and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I push the line to find certain ways to get people to go faster for sure. I mean, it just comes from from a passion of of winning. Like if I if I were to win tomorrow, um, I know I like I treat a Victorian downhill series like my clients treat a World Superbike or Supersport series. Yeah, exactly. And I love it just as much. So it's all about just standing on that top step, really. Yeah. Which has driven me for 15 years to to search every angle of physical, nutritional, and mental to bring it together. Yeah. Um, just that passion for the top step, mate. You know how it is? Yeah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we speak the same language, man. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, there's not... <laughs> back in 05, when I decided to start race fit and yeah. try and make it more than... I didn't want to, didn't want it to be my name because, A, I hadn't won any big championships and, and couldn't really bank off your name as, as a nobody 20, 21-year-old trainer. Yeah. Um, but the whole idea was to was to train races only. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right from the start and I was just had that physical side of um, side of the profession and, and all the strength and conditioning and PT certs and all that sort of stuff yeah um, so yeah started off with the physical and then quickly quickly learnt that it's pretty easy to get guys in mm. really good physical shape but mm. if their head's not in the right spot yeah so that, that led me down that path of the mental stuff yeah and I was lucky to meet um, an amazing sports psych who just happened to be a racer and one of the on the top female races um, as well. A, a, a chick from New Zealand called Sally Stedman um, and worked closely with her for a while. She was just, I was lucky that she was working in Melbourne for a while. She had a contract in Melbourne and yeah, awesome. I was trading her physically. She had some, some physical stuff she needed sorted um, and I wanted I just racked her brain for a couple of years there on on sports psych and led me down that, led, led me down that pathway. There was no sort of short-term sports psych degrees or anything you can really study there no but i knew it was essentially the essence of going fast and getting anyone in the zone and yeah um you know equal fit athletes are yeah. decided, are separated by the head so um, definitely yeah she was amazing and 
and just loved all that sports psych stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just sort of, I suppose you're sent down a direction that you have to go down once you're in it for a while. Like, I thought I could literally be a motorsport and, and a bike sport specific um, strength and conditioning or physical trainer. Yeah. I had no interest in rehab and I thought it was so confusing and, and it's just too hard. To, all the different injuries were just so gnarly to comprehend and didn't know how physios and myos and, and all these guys could get people back and it was just such a weird dark art. Yeah. And I had no interest of going down that route of helping with recovery. Like that would be the handball straight away. Yeah. And just when you get the okay, I'll, I'll speak to the physio and you can come back to me and we'll start getting you ready again. But... Again, that's through racing myself and just annihilating myself physically as well. I've yeah. just learnt so much on rehab. And that's probably the biggest thing in, um, in keeping racing, as the question ages ago led to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the biggest thing of me racing is just annihilating myself physically and just learning rehab methods and, and getting back and how the body works as far as um, trauma recovery and, and injury, riding injured and um, yeah. just pushing that line on how to get back quick. Yeah. And all the different avenues you can go off on um, helping with that so yeah that's where it leads us to now yeah so I know it's a it's a freaking rabbit hole man that like the whole sports psychology thing but yeah. if you could simplify it yeah what's the biggest thing Which you've I have learned because I'm a dipshit so, yeah um, and I am too man I'm a, I'm a simple man <laughs> yeah. I'm a very simple man but what if you could like simplify it into a few key points what in racing yeah racing specific well yeah what i really quickly learned was there's no such thing as racing psychology or there's no such thing as sports psychology in general it's yeah. just the way the fucking brain fires in general so it's yeah. just human psychology yeah human and behavior then once you've got the basis of it um you can then mold it towards a sport and, and manipulate it towards that and, and put it into that context but you have to grasp the the bigger theories the processes and the mm. the way people um the way different individuals respond as well yeah um so the, the best way to sum it sum it up is what we deal with in racing i sort of simplified it i've got about seven sheets that i sort of work through yeah um that, that sally was awesome enough to help me develop back in the day yeah and they're like indicators and just things to look out for and, and do nots and some simplified points so um i can shoot you some links to them as well if you want and we'll we can um they're open to everyone now i kept them pretty secret for a while yeah yeah there's a few of us doing this stuff now and i just want to get it all out really yeah exactly um so things like fear of failure um are a big one and we won't go into the origins of, of it all but essentially for races um things to work through big things like fear of failure when you've got pressure um, dealing with pressure um, race day itself and having plans for race day and um, race day pressure and race day psychology is massive and then you've got to split it up between the sports too so if you're racing other humans if you're on track with other humans and you it's a sort of a battle race sport not an individual sport like a time trial like mm. downhill and, and some other stuff yeah um, it's a little bit different when it's when it's you versus the clock or you versus the mountain um, so, um, fear of failure, um, fear of um, injury is a big one, and getting back, getting your head back after injuries, another one. Yeah, and absolutely. the processes, laying out processes to get back after a big trauma or a big injury, um, is another one. So, they're all pretty simple topics, but um, getting your head around them and then looking after an athlete 
um, is is different with every type of person as well. So yeah, um, even the best in the business aren't aren't superhuman. They're all got massive flaws mentally. Got massive human flaws. That's what you totally. learn pretty quick when you start training heroes yeah. and, and training guys at the, the pointy end. They're, they're just normal dudes. But yeah, can do some freaky shit. Yeah, when when they get their ducks in a row. Um, so yeah, just separating that and working with people long term, and you know, if it means you've got to sort out their home life as well to get them in line and do things like mobile phone bans and yeah. and, and stuff like whatever it takes, whatever it takes really. Yeah. So yeah, that the mental realm, um, a lot of the stuff. Um, there's heaps of really good data and books on golf psychology because there's so much money in the old. Yeah, golf the old crew, um, trying to get the score down to beat their other accountant mates and yeah. whatever they do. But there's some great psychology in that, like getting your mind back on focus after after making a Poor mistake. Shot. And I've I've translated a lot of stuff from that into racing talk. Yeah, and racing speech. So there's a really there's a really good couple of tennis books as well because that's a that's an individual sport. Yeah, um, high pressure, fast mm. pace, and a lot of the psychology. Um, you know, big money in those sports, so they've had some big funding to to study that stuff as well. But yeah, essentially, yeah. again, like I said at the start, it's it's human psychology. There's no such thing as as racing or sports psychology, because they've put so much effort into the the tennis and, and golfing and stuff. Um, you can translate um, a lot of the books and the information there to racing really well. Yeah. Um, and I have I've done that in the past, so there there are a couple of great avenues to go down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think, like you say, like that, how it it quite often can, can come back to, like your your norm, or I guess your behaviour in life in general, not just racing, but that fear yeah. of failure is often like a comparing ourselves to others too much, like that self comparison. Yeah, I suppose you're not focused on your own game. If you, if you've got any time to let in input from from any of that shit, and you've got time to process that, or or you're letting yourself process that. Yeah, it's quite simply a, a fact of just your processing power. You've only got so much. So if you're letting shit in mm. um, to distract you, whether it be other people, um, that's just pure energy coming in. It's input coming in that then you're you're wasting it and not and not resting or not. Uh, focusing on your own game enough because the processing power has been used for something else. So if you're letting yeah. too much in of that shit, um, just it's it's super important to catch it early and, and just um, just be aware of of when that starts to happen. Yes, yeah. it's literally um, just sapping energy from from what you need to be focused on. So yeah. the more you're letting in, the less you can focus on where you want to go. So yeah, I think that's a really big point too. Like you say is. Mm no one's perfect like we all we all have our shit and it's just a matter of that self-awareness of actually catching yourself when you're doing it yeah the better you get at that then the better you are going to be at pulling yourself up and focusing back on what you need to be focusing on yeah and it's uh make myself sound really old but it's (laughs) um it's pretty stressful training the younger crew now with phones and stuff the general Mm. the general attention span shortening as well and and i suppose just the egocentric nature of phones and social media and stuff it's changing the psyche wholesale across um not only western people here but over in asia when i'm over there they're the biggest social media users of any country yeah um, over there as well so 
that's super destructive and mobile phone bans and, and messing with phones and stuff lately has been getting some good results. So yeah, um, just a pushback, a pushback against that, that stuff yeah. at the moment is, is working quite well because it's, if we're talking about energy sapping and wasting time and, and, and putting effort in where you don't need it, it's, they're, they're your prime cause in 2018 slash 19. Um, a good book by Dr. Andy Galpin um, explains a lot about disconnecting from from too much um, too much info, too much data coming in to yeah. then focus on your own game and yeah, and get some get some good good focus. Yeah, it's mm. kind of like that decision fatigue thing. Yeah, absolutely. That's all part of it. I mean, yeah, um, yeah, they're up against it. The young crew at the moment. Like, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm pretty sure it's not me just being a salty old <laughs> sea dog, but um, it's. It's amplified overseas in, in Asia. They're, yeah. they're struggling with way too much, yeah, way too much of that insta lifestyle at the moment. But um, if they can find a balance, it, it's all good. But yeah, it's it's a it's a hassle for a coach. It's a hassle. They're a hassle mm, yeah. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about that man, the the Indonesian cycling team you've been working with um, over there. Yeah, well, I tried to keep race fit, sort of motorsport, two wheeled motorsport orientated and then because I started racing again as a vet in mountain bikes yeah it was to get away from racetracks and to get away from all that yeah um so I could have a beer and and get away from um just really intense sort of um coaching roles with race teams and individuals racing bikes I thought I'd get away to beautiful spots like this and and get some racing done but as soon as you get there and people ask what you're doing it's like everyone crosses sports and yeah it just the lines got blurred really quick like it turned into um turned into not not more work but um crossing over back into mountain biking when it wasn't the initial thing it was was literally some holidays and for me to keep relevant in racing and test some theories and some of that psychology and nutrition theories um and processes out and then it just got blurred i was training downhillers and and stuff like that so in 2015 i looked after a factory um downhill team an indonesian team and did a race in bali on a holiday again it was meant to be all cash and me racing and yeah and then having a surf and a, and a beer and um relaxing over there and it just turned into big time coaching role so i went from a small um a small factory race team of four or five um into looking after well now i'm sort of human performance director for Asian Cycling Federation, so it's like all all disciplines and Olympic and South South Southeast Asian Games teams and Asian Games teams. So yeah, right. It's, it's all the crew, which is amazing and fun, um, and it sort of led me down this path of really big wholesale change coaching sort of processes, which is just I didn't realise how much I like it, and I'm just falling in love with it. So yeah, essentially, you know, writing reports to governing bodies and. and Enforcing changes in nutrition wholesale across all cycling disciplines or stretching processes or things like blue light apps on their phones across the board and just having these, these really big changes across disciplines and across, you know, it might be across 60, 60 races. Having a big um, impact. Enjoying that. It's, it's been epic. It's been, been amazing. So um, turning into that sort of coach again is getting me away from racing a bit more as well like i still love one-on-one training sessions like yeah 
I love it. It's me. Just just getting in with the energy and one on one with a with a client and seeing what their anatomy's doing and where we can fix it up and um, um, still love it to death. Like I could never stop training athletes one on one. Yeah. Um, it's sort of where I come from. It's I don't want to stop. I'm just absolutely loving the big the big stuff as well. So I'm in this weird spot now where it's um, in between big contracts for, for big teams or countries and then um, one-on-one stuff, even with like just amateur kids in the local area, whatever it might be. But I still love that one-on-one PT stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's just easier. The older you get there, easier it is. Um, we might have to describe to the listeners that there's a cat on your steering wheel in your car at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> so we're doing an outdoor podcast. We- <laughs> <laughs> We've got a passenger. Dashboard. <laughs> I hope there's a kitty litter tray in there. Terrific <laughs> <laughs> cat. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, I'm lost. Um, still loving coaching one on one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Having um, a bigger impact over there. Yeah, can't st- still love the one on one stuff, but. Just having, especially with um, training a different culture, you know, Western people across the board, like Americans, Australians, Kiwis, Poms, um, the lucky one percenters, we're all, you can pretty much bounce the same theories across. Like uh, when I go to the States, it's really easy to communicate with those guys and Aussies and Poms don't really separate too much at all. Yeah. Um, the way they go about things or the way they, they change and um, all those processes are pretty solid across the board. But going to... A different culture, a different language, a different religion. Uh, yeah, just, just a lot of barriers. Different everything's. It's it pretty much start again. So all those mental processes that that we spent so long working on and and ironing out here and the way um, people react to advice and stuff. Um, it's just so different. I mean, it's like you know when you travel, it's just different cultures, different. It's simple as that. But yeah. when you're going over there with a job to do. Yeah, it's it's not start again. It's just it's just really different. So I think the best analogy or the, the best sort of case study you could iron out would be with the BMX team over there um, in comparison to the locals here. Um, like the ballsiest athletes on the planet, bar none, the Indonesians. Like yeah. There's no fear. Um, you point them in whatever direction and ask for any line in downhill and BMX and um, even some track, some dodgy track moves. Yeah. Um, they're up for it and they'll, they really don't care what put happens. Like they will, they put their lives on the line yeah. at the drop of a hat. Easy, not a problem. But if you go out and ask them to uh, bring out some dog or some some stronger language, if you ask them to, <laughs> to lay a... A questionable maneuver on someone they just they won't do it yeah at all so you've that's really strange you don't usually find those two contrasting um um set of characteristics yeah. in the western crew um, yeah which that's really weird and, and just getting it across and um that's probably one of the best um contrasts working over there with those guys is just how courageous they are yet polite at the same time yeah and it's a cultural thing the whole country's amazingly polite and and respectful and amazing yeah. and ballsy yeah <laughs> it's uh, just things that don't usually go together with, with westerners so yeah it's probably the funniest biggest um sort of difference with those guys yeah and i'm a really visual person anyway so when i go over there it's me and whiteboards and 
and projectors and um, super visual and they just their understanding of English is great they don't speak it so well but I can pretty much um, run classes and seminars all the time and beat the track and I know enough local I know all the words I need to know to, to get up them if, get they're, if yeah. they're not putting me in and um, I, can, I can count to a certain amount of numbers and you know what I mean so it's um, yeah I've got enough to get by yeah so yeah I love those guys it's like second home yeah been, been over in Jakarta a bit and so it's not sitting on the beach in Bali when most people think I'm on the beach in Bali and maybe <laughs> going to a gym and trying it's like the city of Jakarta 25 million people in the city and hard to find uh, quality nutrition yeah hard to find quality gyms it's um it's up against it but I love it it's amazing yeah mm. Well, that was one of the big things I wanted to ask you about that that whole process, I suppose, was the nutrition. Because that was, yeah. I think that's probably the first post I ever saw of yours, yeah. was the, I think one you put up about that report you had to send to them about their nutrition. Yeah, that's... And how you, you didn't hold back in what you thought was best. Yeah. How has that... Well, t- tell us what that involved first and how how hard's that been to implement? They, um, they sent a couple of teams out to Australia first for some camps with me to stay with me and, and I'd host the camps. So up here actually, the downhillers came up to the high country for a couple of weeks and I observed and, and stuff at the start um, and wrote some reports on the choices they were making and what they do, um, just observational. And then for the second half I'd change stuff up um, and send it back and then at the end I wrote a report to send home with them. Um, so they had some officials at the start for the first half and then... Um, they went back and left the riders under my care. Um, yeah. So, um, obviously not a racist bone in my body and um, I didn't know, I was reading some studies on, on how different cultures um, process white rice and stuff and there's so many bad, cheesy, racist jokes that, that come to mind with, with um, Asian crew and rice. Um, but I was pretty staunch on what I was observing and, and everything was lining up, it was telling me that they were eating too much white rice, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> and one of the big things at the end of the report was um, a, a recommendation on just slashing the white rice consumption because they're all sort of doughy and they look to struggle to look really fit. Like yeah. the numbers they were producing physically were amazing. Yeah. They were just looking doughy and, and stuff. And so I bit the bullet, I wrote this report I had a couple of other camps lined up. They're going to send the BMX team out. They're sending the road team out. So I had a, a fair bit of my future work was lined up with these guys. Yeah. I thought a bit oh, of a gamble. And me being me, I don't really, I don't really hold back. So I, I, I just wrote straight up. My recommendation is to slash the white rice. You're eating too much white rice. And as I was writing it, I was just thinking, I don't think anyone would have written this to an Asian <laughs> governing body ever in the past to stop to just chill on the rice a little bit. <laughs> Um, but it worked a treat. Their their body fat percentage turned around with a little bit of a power gain, and they looked amazing by the time the Asian Games were on. So they came out for a for a training camp well early of the Asian Games, and by the time the Games come around, they were the gnarliest looking athletes in the entire cycling federation. It was the downhill team, who's you know traditionally not not the craziest athletes. Yeah. Like visually. Yeah. Aesthetically, and we weren't training for aesthetics by yeah, any means. For sure. Zero, zero bearing on aesthetics, but they looked epic. Ripped. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they looked amazing. So then, the next team that came out, obviously, um, we did the same, and they were sent back. And so the downhillers went back and got gold. The male and female got gold, um, and then 
the team that had the second amount of exposure training and changing the nutrition and 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 more access to some some better theories got some silvers and stuff in bmx and a bronze and then um the track and road did you know progressively worse as far as the middle tally goes um so hopefully we can get their olympic shit sorted early because yeah. they sent them over to me really late for asian games yeah which was huge it was massive it was bigger than the commonwealth games here like yeah it's just it's the biggest event behind the olympics so yeah it's really hard to explain how professional it was it was, it was epic um so yeah hopefully we've got two years till tokyo if they get their shit together now and and get it sorted we can make some changes for sure but the later you leave that stuff yeah we're not going to see indonesia at the top of um, tokyo olympic podiums but we want them knocking on the door of podiums we don't want to be out the back yeah they can yeah. do it yeah um and their results are exploding on the yeah. up racing in general motorsport and cycling is that sounds cheesy again but it's there's no other way to describe it but exploding yeah but they've got night races they've got urban yeah. races they've got 20 cameras down the hill yeah. like their mountain bike scene is epic they've, yeah. they've got a brand new middle class so the whole socio-economical things changing in asia yep where racing's exploding it'll be dirt bike and road and, and road racing stuff really soon as well yeah i was gonna say they have got a little they've got a little bit of a dirt bike scene over there motocross it's scene about to get big yeah i mean they, they had the upper class and they had a working class that was yeah. getting paid nothing in the past nothing in between and now some good things are happening over there um there's all there's this whole new sector with expendable money for hobbies so that's just going to feed into that and just by sheer numbers 230 million of them or something our yeah. neighbors up there in indonesia um out of that talent pool you're going to get some freaks and stuff so yeah absolutely we're in trouble Aussies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a better average yeah what a, yeah it's um australia's population in jakarta city yeah that, I think <laughs> that we were trying to get through all the time yeah So, what about, you are up at Bathurst last weekend. Yep. So, do you do a bit of stuff with Wing Cup? Is uh, that right? Or? No, not much. He's got a physio that takes care of all their, yep. all their stuff. Um, um, do you help any of the drivers out? or? No, I've got a couple of personal friends. I help Marcus Sikanovic out a bit in yep. Melbourne. Anyone from Melbourne yep. um, I'm open to work with. Um, just when I'm not in Indo, I'll go and help a friend's company out at the um at the races it's just good just filling in some holes i mean i've worked at every yeah. racetrack um i got to bathurst last week it's like one of the only tracks i've been to yeah um so it was just epic to be up there and be part helping out with triple eight so um it's been part of loungy's like, yeah fairy tale win but yeah, yeah just being sure. at bathurst and it's just you know the holy grail hopefully they build that motorbike racing track i think it got the green light so yeah i expect to be there a lot if that when that takes off so yeah, it's it's all been New Zealand for for the V8s as well, and then I'm going to stay on and run a camp. Um, I've worked with a few World Cup mountain bikers that are Kiwis yeah, in nice. the past, so I'm going to going to straight after the V8s, I'm going to have some riding and climb some mountains myself over there. Yep. Um, and then the week after the V8 race, I'm going to run a camp over there, human performance camp, and get the old whiteboard out, and I think the mountain bike there'll be. Superbike riders and car racers and cyclists all in the classroom together. Yeah, and then cool. um, the day after, the mountain bikers will stay on for some skills stuff with the with some of the Kiwis. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's going to be fun. I've worked in Christchurch in the past, but this is on the North Island, so yeah. Um, yeah, Stokes. I think yeah, there's Queensland, New Zealand this year. 
Um, I'm gonna try and just stay in Melbourne for a bit. Yeah, chill. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chuck a studio in a in a house near Listerfield. So most of the sports I train, mountain biking is the best cross training sport anyway. Yeah, for XC, sure. Just for the full body and mental. Yeah. Uh, pump. So the missus is almost a nutritionist trainer. Um, the whole works as well. So we're gonna chuck a studio out near Listerfield and and run them there. And the eight, the Indonesians can. Um, send teams over so I've set up a, a big room with bunks and stuff for them to, to come and train yeah nice so yeah that's a plan awesome that's a plan but yeah if, um, if this Olympic contract comes through with Indonesia I'll, I will go over before Tokyo because I can see I can see the room to move like with with their results and yeah. two years of training and development over there they've got the willpower and the open-mindedness and yeah yeah take it on board yeah so um where was I gonna go <laughs> it's a messy subject no <laughs> there's, just, there's too many avenues I mean between no, oh, physical nutrition what, I was and gonna the with your it wasn't one I had written down, just came to me. But with those, your, your camps that you're doing, yep. human performance, yeah. Like obviously, like we said before, and I'm probably of the same belief, it's pretty freaking easy to get strong. It's pretty freaking easy to get aerobically fit. Yeah. I shouldn't say easy, it's simple. Yeah, it's output. Yeah. It's, yeah. So when you're doing those camps, you're obviously focusing on the, the, the whole, those other areas you spoke about. How much are you focusing on them over the, I guess, the physical training component? Uh, so- I work is it, to is it diagrams a, a lot, so I think I'm just super visual. Yeah. I'm, I'm hopeless without visual cues and diagrams yeah. and stuff. So my essential human performance pyramid uh, type, type pick that I, that I teach in front of is a foundation of um, physical development. So yeah. you need that foundation there. So mm. you can't get around a cardio base, strength base, flexibility base. Yeah. Um, and then being specified in, in you know speed endurance strength straight speed power and the the mixing of, of all those um, points as well and then and then um, obviously your cardio base um, for whatever sport you're doing as well so you need that strong foundation of that physical that, that your that your pyramid stands on yeah um, on top of that you've got your technical um, which means just your straight up bike handling skills really usually you know for, for all of our sports so that's just riding yeah um, and then depending on the strength and the width of your base of your, of your pyramid for those two um, then you get into tactical so planning and um, planning and um, just being ready and um, yeah your, your tactical your tactical look at racing whatever your sport might be yeah that's essentially the pyramid we we teach off and then um up the sides of the pyramid you're running things that that govern all of those things moving up together so um like intertwined like a snake um going up is your skills and confidence so without your skills if you're down on skills your confidence can't grow yeah and without confidence um you can't access your skills yeah so um skills and confidence um, sort of intertwine and, and wind up together yeah. to, to reach whatever point you're, you're at currently. 
Yeah. And they don't go anywhere without each other. Yeah. So I'm a big, big believer at the moment of, um, across all bike sports that just your back, getting back to basics and just being good at fucking wheeling. Yeah. Stop just playing. Yeah. Anyone playful on their bike um, that's not being serious for a bit. Um, is at the top of the game, yeah. like a Marquez and a Rossi in, in road racing, yeah. can get out and play yeah. as good as a stunt rider or as good as a flat track. Yeah, um, the world's best flat trackers, and and get out and play on a bike. And when it's time to when it's time to get serious, they they chuck it in a straight line and get the job done. Mm. Same with motocross, mm. um, and and downhill and stuff as well. You can get really racy and forget about the basics. Well, if you just get really racy in in any in any of our sports, you can go down the line of losing the basic skills and then it sort of goes out the window. So it's fun sort of asking like really top level riders just to go out and do wheelies and find yeah. time in the week to go out and play on a bike. Yeah. It's, it's sort of fun, sort of fun to request of people. Yeah. And I guess that's why we all started riding in the first place anyway, yeah. right? When yeah. We're, when we're kids and whatever. Yeah. So especially with, you know, I use Motorcycle road racing, for an example, um, a couple of juniors that look after amazing Australian champs and stuff in junior categories. Yeah, um, they've gone up through the ranks really quick because they're really fast. Yeah, um, <laughs> they haven't, I can wheelie better than them and, and stuff you better than them. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. We get up them a lot. They're so fast. Um, they're just not making that next little step. Yeah, and these guys are working on their wheelies and stuff at the moment, so it's, it's going to be exciting. Yeah, they, they're going to be the proof in the pudding. But yeah, it's been a fun little. Um, angle to take the last couple of years is just enforcing that playfulness. Yeah, yeah, as well. for sure. Do you think that's got a bit to do? Because I, I, that's one of the things I'm big on. Just in the gym is yeah. teaching people to juggle, teaching people to balance. Like just like yeah. you say, fun stuff that challenges you with a bit of complexity. Like yeah. it's like challenges you. It's like problem solving for your brain, basically. Yeah. So it's, it's creating those new pathways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that sort of if we can sort of parlay that into. Um, it's creating new pathways or strengthening existing pathways, yeah. same as how the how the muscles work and the body works. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's exactly the same with skills. So if you're just strengthening the same old the same old um, pathways, um, yes, you're optimising and optimising and optimising, but you need that adaptation. You need to create new pathways all the time. Yeah. And I'm massive on that, and that that crosses over physically, mental, mentally, mm. and even with nutrition as well, you can adapt new um, new styles of, of nutrition as well. Yeah, and Just yeah. be malleable with that as well. So it's it's just that, that mix of consistency versus adaptation or that optimization versus adaptation that's physically, mentally, and, and nutritionally as well. Yeah. So, yeah, huge, huge component of that. You really have to be careful because people like me with a short attention span can just keep... Um, Get a bit too much adaptation yeah. and go a bit wild with yeah. just trying new shit all the time. Especially yeah. when you've got a, a weapon of an athlete, like a, a physical freak that is capable of doing whatever you throw at them. Yeah. Like, it's hard to stick to the basics and keep nutting out a really regimented, um, st- statistic-based strength program where you just um, consistency, quality, and intensity yeah. in one when in one action to optimize. Yeah. Um, because you just wanted to to just create all these awesome pathways that they're capable of yeah. and it's, it's hard for me as a trainer to to stick to that basic those yeah. basics as well but yeah it's, it's a good analogy to you can cross over that adaptation versus optimization in, 
in all three human performance aspects. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Trying to find that balance. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, I don't know. There's no ratio. I haven't, haven't figured out a ratio, but um, well, I, I guess like, like you say, everyone's area. individual too. I yeah. suppose so. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I suppose across the board, it seems like a 70/30 type deal. Yeah. Thirty um, percent of the time, learning new stuff. And, yeah. And adapting and being fresh. Yeah, yeah, mm. for sure. So, one thing I did want to ask, like, when you've got like a mountain bike racer. Yep. And perhaps one of your super bike races, like yep. obviously the actual movement is probably a bit, oh, a fair bit different. Yep. What, how how much they're actually moving on the bikes quite different, but yep. the level of intensity yep. is very similar. Yeah. How what's your programming look like, or what are you including, not including, vice versa, or are they pretty similar anyway? I think rather than between the sports, between the individual and their exercise history would differ more so than than, than across, I suppose, you know, if you're talking about my style, the race fit style, yeah, which is very um, mentally taxing. So I never train, I never train the body separate from the mind because I think you're wasting time. Yeah. So I'm all about efficiency when it comes to human prep. So so the athlete's got more time with the family or whatever else they're doing. Yeah. If, if you're not killing 13 birds with one stone you're just wasting time <laughs> even if they're pro and they've got all day to train you don't have to rack motocross athletes as far as I'm concerned are the best athletes on the planet yeah simple as that um, like high end motocross slash supercross guys are yeah. the most amazing athletes on the planet yeah and that's obviously a debatable point but um, not many people I don't realise anyone, that I don't think other athletes can <laughs> like UFC Mixed martial arts guys would be knocking on the door if they consistently yeah. fought for a longer duration of time. Yeah. But if you've got an average career fight time of, of 1.9 rounds... Yeah, exactly. You're just not doing what motocross guys are doing. No. Flat out. And the, the risks are there. And Yeah. Anyway, we won't go down that path. But um, I've, I've lost track of what we were talking about. <laughs> it's got gliders, gliders soaring overhead. <laughs> As the sun's setting over Mount Bogong <laughs> with a bit of snow-capped mountains, got got distracted by a glider doing some tricks out there. <laughs> um, how how your programming would oh, yeah. would would vary yeah. between your sort of road bike, mountain bike, how it's individualised. Obviously, you look at their their battle duration. So a mountain bike is four minutes of yeah. of max heart rate and backing that up all day, um, short bursts and you know, whatever type of road race or, or motocross or motorcycle racing sport has sort of set time durations that you essentially have to peak for. Yeah. So working periodization, whatever time of year in pre-season or mm. intra-season stuff, um, it varies absolutely heaps. But then again, um, a few, the only, the biggest commonalities there are the way, even off-season, training the brain at the same time as the body. Yeah. You can have sessions where it is just purely body and a bit of a relaxation, especially away from away from race season. Um, but essentially, for eighty percent of the year, the 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 race calendar year, um, it's all mental, physical stuff at the same time. So, sort of input, output, mental um, command stuff at the same time. Their bodies, uh, we're developing a certain part of their body. So, um, getting a heart rate up to create a bit of um, disorientation and, yeah. and simulate um, um, blood pressures and all sorts of stuff there and then asking for for 
concentration type stuff. Yeah. So I would never get an athlete's heart rate up and then just let them rest and, yeah, yeah. and sit there. So even if we finish with a physical, separating a physical, so just for example, getting someone's deadlift up, at the end of um, a set of seven deadlifts, the heart rate's up in the zone where yeah, they need to yeah. operate at. Yeah, so absolutely. they're not going to sit down and rest no. in my in my case. They're they're doing something mental or yeah, whatever 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 we're working on at the time. But it's going to be smashing them mentally and physically at the same time. To separate the two or to to just do physical training sessions for a sport uh, is I, I don't don't really do that much at all. No, I think you're absolutely right. Like because mm. that. And that's when you tend to make a mistake, of course, is when you're fatigued yeah. and you've got to make a split second decision or whatever it is. Yeah. So it's very hard to replicate that. But like you say, like when your heart rate is elevated in the gym, you should be doing something. Yeah. Like that's what we're, and like I say, with the and juggling or... It's too much or, fun as a, as a coach. As yeah. A, as a trainer, it's, um, it's too much fun. There's so many things we can be doing. Yeah, if, yeah. If you're good at your job, you want them for like five hours at a time not one you're not trying to get them out of there like you have it's really hard to program and, and get the maximum gain out of someone that's why i love the one-on-one stuff because yeah um it's just so hard to deliver the perfect session all the time mm. so whatever level they're at and just keep that forward progression going yeah it's um that's that's the battle yeah so what is some of your favorite what are your mental challenging things you're giving some of your clients when they're maxed out like that just just lots of focus and balance stuff yeah balance is always good and yeah um just activating small balance muscles when the when the heart rate's right up as well just so they're used to just being disorientated and having a bit of risk like yeah. actual adrenaline in the system as well yeah um so things like being up off the floor balancing like a real risk if if they were to make a big blunder there's they actually don't want to make that blunder so it's it's all it's nice to wrap them in cotton wool i've never really actually injured anyone touch wood um they've never really been injured in a class but there's been some sketchy shit go to, you know jumping across swiss balls and and bosus and and jumping blocks off the ground after a set of deadlifts and stuff um um they sort of figure it out because they're used to it as well so they're used to being in that zone but keep stressing them and keep stressing them and and just finding where someone's limits are um, and just putting them on that limit all the time. Yeah. Just to move it forwards. Um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, some actual risk in training, just a little bit, um, so they don't want to fall off a BOSU, or so they don't want to fall off a balance beam, or if they're lunging along the gutter, they don't want to step in the puddle. So there's a real... So there is consequences mm. to mistakes in training. Um, that's a massive one. I think that's what's... Back in the day... Um, it's pretty common stuff now with social media and stuff but back in 05 and 06 it was really fun developing that shit because it was yeah. like and, you know, there was one or two in the states and yeah whatever uh, uh, there just wasn't many people yeah, like, yeah. but now it's, it's, it's common knowledge so it's, it's cool yeah um, being able to share all that stuff because we thought we'd keep it secret and yeah. no one knew about it back in the day but <laughs> yeah those sessions are epic and just the amount people are progressing with it at the moment and stuff as well with there's a cross-country rider, cross-country mountain biker um, in Europe that's got some amazing shit at yeah. the moment. And it's, it's all the stuff we were keeping secret for so many years. And, yeah. You know, Red Bull making these awesome edits with him with him training at the Swiss Institute of Sport. Yeah. It's just the greatest stuff, seeing it done properly um, and just seeing it on the other side of the planet as well. It's, it's been yeah, awesome. Yeah. It's all the shit we kept secret for so long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's sweet. That's... 
that's when we throw a lot of our the juggling stuff in and yep. throwing balls and whatever. Absolutely. Like, even for the listeners, like that's what I tell everyone in my that I'm training, like because I train a broad range of clients, train general prop yep. clients too. It's just finding yep. your level. Like for some people, just standing on one leg yep. and throwing a ball up and down like that yep. is challenging. If it's hard, exactly we're moving forward, it's, it's working. Yep. Yep. So it's just finding your level. Yep. What's challenging you? Yep. And then keep progressing. Keep finding something that's challenging you. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So that constant, small, um, hard input during the week. And then I'm always um, advocating, like, lining up some really, something really gnarly once a year as well. Like, you and I were talking about jumping up that mountain at some point this summer. Yeah. Uh, something like that once a year, like, big hurt. Like, something that you've got to set a goal once a year. Big mental once every challenge. two years. Something that at the time you're doing it, everything in your being is saying you're not going to make it and you should pull the pin. Yeah. And then I was never interested in mountain climbing before in my life. Yeah. Um, but I love volcanoes and I wanted to <laughs> see inside of them. So I climbed uh, a gung on Bali um, one night. I started at midnight and got to the top. And in doing that once... All at once, I realised all those mountain climbers and all those those folks. Like you can you can understand, sure, some freaks might like doing silly, painful things like that, and yeah, I'm sure they're a bit weird. Yeah. But until you actually get three quarters of the way up a mountain, and you can use this metaphorically or whatever, um, and everything in your body's saying you're not going to make it, and you get some false summits, and you think you're there, and then you mm. just get crushed by seeing another little <laughs> peak, and you just like I was, I was pretty much too tired to make tears in my eyes on one of these hills that we climbed over in Indonesia. Yeah. I was crawling because it was this ridge line that I wasn't happy standing up on, and the guide that was with me was was just cruising gumboots behind me as I was crawling, doing and like, it easy, trying not to cry. Yeah. And uh, at that point, I realised that's why all those idiots climb Everest. That's why all these people climb these mountains because it's just re- everything in your body saying you can't do it. Yeah. So. Um, that's super important. Most people in the city, a lot of people I know, will not go through life getting anywhere near that point. No. And it's it's very fucking Staying sad. Staying in the comfort zone. Knowing what the humans are capable of. And you get down from that summit um, feeling closer to, like, it's an out-of-body experience. It was yeah. literally an out-of-body experience. When you set something so hard and achieve it, Yeah. that was... It changed your whole outlook on on life in general yeah by making by setting something silly hard and actually not giving up but it's it's hard finding that range to set your goaling because if mm. it's too easy you're not going to get it yeah and it's like so now i set my i set a goal every couple of years it's super fucking hard and that just fills the tank for a couple of years like your your confidence tank yeah like it can it can get you going for years like that first the first really big summit i made um, well, the first big goal I set um, got me for probably three years. Yeah. The confidence, like knowing yeah. you can do that, you can do anything for three years. Yeah. Um, but it sort of wears off over yeah. time. But it's different to setting goals in your racing. The racing, everyone loves a top surfer podium. Once you've had a taste, like yeah. you know that's, you can set goals for that. But doing something just ridiculously hard that you're out of your comfort zone and it's something you don't normally do. So for yeah. For a biker, a hike's mm. a good idea. For a hiker, a cycle might be a good idea. So it's, yeah, it's not transferable. Yeah, for, sure, for sure. But yeah, setting something super hard's yeah, just super important for everyone to do. Yeah. Professional or not. 
Yeah, I like that idea, man. That's that's really cool. One of my clients I was speaking to him this morning. Actually, he's doing. Uh, he's fifty-five, I think. He's doing a. Um, it's in the west coast of Tasmania in February or March, first weekend of March. The Go Nuts One Hundred and One. It's called. Sounds hard already. It's <laughs> when you say west coast of Tasmania, it's, it's a hundred hundred k. You can either run it or walk it. It's just a. You just got to get there on your feet. Yeah. It's a trail run, so it's all through the bush climbing. Yep. Um, Have to be summer. It's in March, yeah. All right, yeah, okay. But yeah, that stuff appeals to me. Like, I would love to do something like that. Yeah, like, I it's totally on, understand. Like a bucket it. list thing. Like, yeah, being in sports and and um, in other sports, you can understand that people like some shit that you might think's weird. Yeah. But until you do it and overcome it, yeah, it's crazy. I just don't like the cold, so I'm at this point where <laughs> if I can climb to a certain clip. Um, but I don't like the cold, so I'm, I'm sort of stuck. Yeah. So I have, to, I have to stick around the equator, and, um, you know, that limits you as well. Yeah, yeah. Over a certain amount of metres, even at the equators, yeah. it still gets pretty cold. So. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. I'll, I'm not really keen. I can't afford all the gear to go to go winter. But, um, yeah. There's still... That, that's why working in Indonesia is epic, because every 100 k's, there's a two to 4,000 metre peak. Yeah, it's really. It's just dotted with earth pimples the whole way yeah. along it like it's just it's amazing yeah nice geographically yeah mm. cool that's awesome man we probably better wrap it up we could talk for a long time you have to come down the big spoke mate <laughs> I'll try and put on a view like this <laughs> um one one last thing you've yep. got the Theragun on the table do you want to maybe give us a few of or just a I won't few... turn it on because we're on here no, shit. it's pretty don't, noisy don't hit me up with it but <laughs> Do you want to give us a few of your top yeah. recovery tips? Um, recovery? Yeah. In general, um, Wim Hof method's the way to go. Um, I was hoping you'd say that. It's a big, <laughs> it's a big field. Um, you know, sleep, sleep's massive. Um, yeah. If you're not getting eight hours, you're nowhere. Yeah. It has so many flow-on effects to hormones and, yeah. and, and muscles. and So sleep's a huge one at the moment. Um, it's a hard one to get, though. It's fucking really hard <laughs> got these beautiful kids of ours running around here at the moment um, and I really feel for you know new yeah. new parent athletes as well yeah but, you know, but it's planning, you're right it's, it's the best thing yeah you, you, you're better off trying to cut yep. something else out of your day yeah as I said at the start like Get I'm sleep. super open minded and I'll travel as far left as, mm. as it takes to, but to bring back some solid data on results so so as the last few years, when I, I did about five years of different small nutrition stuff that finished in um, like 2013. Yeah. So since 2013, I had a bit of a rest because it was just constant study all the time. Yeah. Um, so I had like 2014 off and raced mountain bikes a lot. Yeah. Didn't study, just turned into a bit of an athlete, which was fun. Um, and ever since then, I, I got, uh, I can't handle not studying, not, not learning stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, even if it pushes old knowledge out, like I'd rather learn new stuff. Yeah. So um, I suppose since then it's been all recovery and, and I had a couple of massive injuries. I got metal through my leg and yeah. broken both legs and um, got metal in hands and stuff in the last six years of racing myself. Yeah. So I've accidentally got into this recovery stuff. Mm. It was sort of forced upon me. Um, I'm accidentally probably the best guy I know at the moment as far as getting back from injury and stuff. So work with amazing physios and, and handball all the all the, the real deal. But when yeah. it comes to that holistic approach, there's so many things people can do yeah, yeah. that are free 
and easy. I was going to say, I just can't handle a lot spending of it 80 bucks per doctor's visit. Look, <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. So the tie dust in me has made me search for free, yeah. quality ways to rehab. Yeah. So I'd rather than spend money with people like us <laughs> than the quacks. But um, but you're right. A lot of it is simple. A lot of it isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's, it's, I saw I saw that percussion massage shit on social media and thought it was a joke and had this had some power packs from a tool kit. Um, so I bought a jigsaw and made one just to see what it was like. Yeah. I'm a masseuse. Yeah. Um, and the missus is masseuse as well. Yeah. Um, um and just simply works it's it's epic like i hate i sound like i'm promoting something but it's um if you can make one out of a jigsaw which you can pretty easy yeah i'd recommend every amateur to pro athlete make one out Go of a jigsaw if you know i i charge for my services and professional coach so massage is part of that i yeah. would be taking a jigsaw with the blades still on it <laughs> um across anyone's neck <laughs> super spinatus and stuff but um so yeah i forked out for the good one after i made the the dummy test run it and it was amazing yeah this percussion massage people is the way to go so just for normal massage you do have to be masseuse to use it um so there is some some do's and do nots but just check out all the stuff online to use them but Mm. definitely make one yourself for 100 bucks or 150 bucks rather than spend the 700 on the on the theragun but yeah um yeah it works really well especially the frequency of the vibration confuses your uh, your nervous system for pain signals as well. So it does have a pain killing effect. So there's so many different ways yeah, right. you can use it. It's epic. Yeah. So you use it along your along your um, along all sorts of neural pathways as well. So um, along your hands and 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 the bottom of your feet has some epic sort of relaxation type results. And yeah, nice. Your general. Uh, muscle massage stuff so forearms and, and stuff are great which I'm about to get into soon because I've had a big day on the bike but yeah, I'll, um, I'll bust her out after this and, and have a full go yeah but, nice um, so I'll go through about two batteries worth and charge it in again but yeah that and Wim Hof's Wim Hof stuff's epic um, so just the oxygen content of his breathing technique um, I studied um, I was looking at what EPO does because I'm a pretty staunch, clean coach. Yeah. Um, sort of lifted weights my whole life without getting into the, the dark side of stuff. And yeah. obviously train a lot of cardio-based athletes um, and pretty staunch and not letting them dabble in anything as well. So pretty pretty staunch, natural uh, coach. So I had the chance to study some Wim Hof stuff in Europe when I was there for some World Super Sport stuff. Yeah. Um, and... His breathing technique is essentially like a, a poor man's dose of EPO. Yeah. yeah it's the best way to, the easiest way to describe it. So if you can get proficient at the breathing technique alone, yeah. not, not the full Wim Hof method, but his breathing technique uh, loads the body full of oxygen. Absolutely, yeah. And you get the results of, 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 of a little dose of Lance, really. Yeah, yeah. So um, for recovery, if people want to get into it, we can get into it, into the nitty-gritty of it. But essentially... Um, Muscle performance, when you're taking the 10 minutes to do it, it's an accidental meditation. So if you're using this for sports performance, which exactly is... Exactly what I was going to say, yeah. What I, I studied it straight up for what the red blood cells can do and, and, and energy in the muscle and, and yeah. endurance in the muscle and stuff and perf- muscle performance. Yeah. What I found straight away on myself was it's 
it's like meditation. So Absolutely. you're killing two, two massive birds with one stone there. Well, it's just like that mindfulness thing Clarity. and that yep. comes back to that focus on the start yep. line or in a pressure, a high pressure situation or whatever it is. Yeah. So I've got some BMX races that have been cleaning up through Asia at the moment and they're, yep. they're doing it before every race. And I did it this morning um, and had a really clean, good day on the bike as well. So yep. um, yeah, a lot of athletes getting into it as well for that. But then obviously his cold exposure stuff as well, the full Wim Hof method is... Uh, then you get into ice, which is well, yeah, well researched and and uh, and used by all athletes at the moment. But um, it's not just cool water or cold water; it's actual um, proper cold exposure. Which under five, yeah. zero to five. Yeah. So I did a five. Ideally closer to zero. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, just the the mental focus um, and the mental and, relaxation from right, the breathing, yeah. and yeah. then all the the ice stuff as well. It's um it's amazing. I think that's just even the ice is just another great mental conditioning tool. Yeah. Because you get it's like that whole fo- what you focus on is what you get thing. If you hop in there and I'm cold, I'm cold, I'm cold. Well, yeah. you're gonna feel cold. You've got to try and focus yeah. on something else. That's right. I can't prescribe this stuff and not do it myself. So yeah. I'm in this spot where I have to <laughs> I have to get in the ice every now and then to be able to do it. With, oh, I love them. I do them yeah. on a weekly basis. Yeah. The ice baths, I love them. Yeah. Well, at the, we've got a creek at our back gate, so I. I jumped in the creek at home this morning. Snow. It yeah. was freaking cold in the creek. Yeah, I'm about to do it tonight. Actually, really cold in, in Mount Beauty. I'll, I'll get in there. But yeah. Um, so yeah, it's but, the oxygen and oxygen cold. Well, it, it, again, there's it's a triple-edged sword with the cold stuff, especially for mental conditioning and just being that uncomfortable once mm. a week is just super important. So yeah. yes. You, they can sort of get used to training really hard and being in that lactic burny pain and they can use as uncomfortable as it is it, when you're doing it every week and stuff you fall into a rhythm of it yeah and you're accidentally making yourself more resilient to it and stuff but yeah us lucky ones us westerners modern humans that are in really nice climate controlled environments all the time yeah we have this ability to adapt and we have this staunch human survival awesome intricate systems in the body that that can handle it Mm. Um, but we just grow so far away from some of these um, some of these cool tricks that we've got yeah. internally so that that's what that's what I like more about it at the moment is just getting people that uncomfortable as the saddest trainer in me <laughs> if we can't, if we can't be burning them out in the gym we can put them in in a, in a bath full of ice but um, yeah it's that being so effing cold um that everything hurts and you want to get out. Yeah. But if you do control it, if you do stay in and make it past that initial shock to the system and command your body to do something, you realise you can do it. And then again, like climbing the mountain or like whatever metaphor you want, you get the confidence in that as well. So you take a lot of it. There's pride that comes out of it. Um, and then you've got all the real physical adaptation, the changes and the, the muscular stuff as well. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. And yeah. you feel amazing. The other day... It was a really nice little eye and I did the full Wim Hof method together. I don't usually do it together. Yeah. Um, but I did the movement, breathing, ice, all in a row before food, fasted till like lunch. It was with, with Superbike Racer and team owner and stuff. Yeah. Um, and then the core temperature was really cold. Yeah. Um, got offered a, a latte, an armoured latte in Melbourne, as you do, <laughs> and um, took it. But I was feeling so good from the oxygen and ice. Yeah. The coffee just made the body feel like it was just this yuck, potent poison. Yeah. So I'm a Melbourne. I love a coffee. Yeah, yeah. 
most days of the week in the morning. Um, and normally it's it's sort of okay, and some of them, some of them have good effects. But after feeling as good as you can naturally feel with the hormones and the energies you've got in your body, with mm. the oxygen, and the ice, the coffee just felt like toxic yuckness. It was just yeah. anxiety inducing. Yeah, yeah. Good up, but um, it actually brought down how good I was feeling from from the oxygen, and the ice. Yeah. So that was that was a really cool little experiment. Mm. So you learn something every time you do it. But. Absolutely, man. I, I would have to agree. I was going to say, like, I even a cold shower, having a cold shower, you just you yeah. feel freaking awesome when you get out. You can be feeling a bit doughy or a bit tired or whatever, and you have a yeah. cold shower or jump in an ice bath, you jump out and you're like, I'm on. Yeah. I'm yeah. good to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm the same with coffee, man. I freaking love coffee, but yeah. if I overdo it, like, I, I, you get that anxious bit of... Yeah. And it's yeah. just not a nice energy like it's yeah it's it's uh well it's a chemical it's it's not meant to be in us that's why we mm. that's why we piss so much on it same as alcohol it's, yeah as soon as the tongue registers that yeah chemicals in the body it's it's um the drugs in yeah you, you sap your body of liquid trying to push it out and that's why you go on the toilet but yeah um yeah it's just after you just cannot feel better than than a 15 minute three rounds of of breath work and then an ice bath for 10 minutes yeah so 25 minutes all up and you it's literally as good as you can operate absolutely like, all my injuries were absolutely gone pain free yeah 100% mental clarity and sharpness like 100% was epic yeah. so um and then wrecked it with a coffee an hour and a half later <laughs> so um yeah it's just you know we're learning all the time absolutely yeah yeah, that's awesome, man. That's that would be one of my biggest recovery tools too. I would say. Yeah. The breathing and the and the cold exposure as well. Yeah. And because, like you say, it's just such a simple thing. It's accessible to anyone. Yeah. Doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah, it's free. So it's yeah. just, it's me. It's, it's good. <laughs> and you know, Wim's got nothing to sell. Yeah, so exactly. These people that care about um, care about humans and haven't got the bullshit to sell you. Yeah. I'll I will listen and I'll study it. I'll take the time. Yeah. Like I'm open-minded, but a lot of them are catchy and there's yeah. a lot of shit. So that's what I see myself as just someone that siphons all the shit for, for the athletes that don't, haven't really got the time and experiment on yourself um, first. And that's why I'm still racing because I'll experiment with some of the stuff. And some of it doesn't get through the process. Even a jigsaw with a massage ball on it? No, they're good. <laughs> they're 100% good. <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. Um, appreciate your time. Yeah, awesome, mate. We better wrap it up because I better let you get into your recovery protocols before the big race yeah, tomorrow. Got that, got that ice melt river in Mount Beauty to get into. <laughs> so, can is there anywhere the listeners can check you out? Um, Website, social media. Do you? I try and. I don't really got anything or? to advertise. I just, um, you know, I'm, I base myself in Melbourne. We're probably going to have an, a, another bubba soon, so yeah. I'm going to try and base in Melbourne a lot. So, if there's any Melburnians out there that that want to hang out and learn learn some good nutrition and training and, and mix it all together with the holistic approach for sure come and catch up with race fit athlete development on insta or something and just find me that way um other than that i'm just gonna try and pump out a book in the next few years because again as i was saying we, we kept so much secret back through like 2005 to 2012 it was all secret so it's like always bottled up shit in there other people letting out slowly at the moment now anyway so i just want to and try and put it all together in a big book yeah nice um, 
like a, a holistic athlete development book. Yeah, cool, man. So that's on the cards, and I'll just stay in Melbourne, have a baby, and race as much as I can personally. Yeah. And just look after a couple of teams next year. Awesome. That's the idea. Well, from all accounts of what I've heard, writing a book like that will keep you busy for a few years, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the content's just got to spill it all out, you know? Yeah. Um, content's there, you just got to put it together. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these kids need it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks, brother. We better Let's wrap eat. it up. Cheers. Let's eat. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>